read beginning at verse number 14. Mark chapter 7 and verse number 14. Tonight, as I announced this morning, I'd speak to you on the subject, the source of social ills. The source of social ills. I do not think that there is actually a day that passes, but what we're all reminded that we live in a sick society. Indeed, uh, all around us, there, there is great evidence of a moral degeneracy, of a moral spiritual sickness that prevails in our present day. And here we find in this passage of the scripture, our Lord zeroing in on the very source of all of our social ills. Beginning in verse number 14 of chapter 7, Mark's gospel, we find these words as they are written. And when he, Jesus, had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. Hold your finger right there before I continue reading and let me say this. Perhaps there was never any greater revolutionary statement that our Lord made to the mind of the devout Jew than this statement. For you see, the Jews had a long list of things that would indeed, they said, defile a man. You only have to look back in Leviticus chapter 11 and read that long list of things that are termed clean and unclean. And the Jews were very strict in this. During the Maccabean period of Jewish history, oftentimes many Jews died from literal starvation because they were commanded to eat pork. Now the Jew considered pork to be unclean. Therefore, they were commanded to do so. Antichius Epiphanes came into the holy city of Jerusalem and there offered a pig on the altar of the temple, which indeed is a foreshadowing of what is before us in the future days of the tribulation. But nonetheless, the Jew considered that to be a very unclean thing. A man could not touch a dead body else he was declared unclean. And if a Jew were to touch a Gentile, he was declared unclean. And Jesus had just been in a discussion with the Pharisees prior to these verses about the disciples not washing their hands before they ate. Now, that had nothing to do with hygiene or physical cleanness. It had to do with ceremonial cleanliness. And thus, these Jews looked at the, at the disciples of our Lord who did not go through this hand-washing ritual. Now, there was a prescribed way to do that. A man must hold his hands with fingertips touching each other in an upward direction. Another person would pour water over his hands and thus pronounce them clean. He would have to take his fist and rub one hand and then another. After that ritual was over, the man was commanded to hold his hands down in this fashion and they would pour more water on it. Now that was not again for hygienic purposes, but it was for ceremonial cleanness. 
That is, they felt that this could only give them acceptance before God. And there were multiple laws that were added to these in what we know as the Mishnah, which was the written oral law that the Jews had. And so our Lord had been in discussion with these Pharisees as they criticized the disciples for not going through this ritual and through this ceremony. For they were saying to the disciples, you are unclean. You are unacceptable to God. And let me remind you of one other thing before I continue reading. And I've, I've mentioned this several times in the past several services. And that is the Pharisees, the scribes, put the great emphasis on the external part of religion. As long as everything was right on the outside, it mattered not what was going on on the inside. Let me tell you this one other instance. The Lord Jesus, you remember reading the scripture where a man could come if his mother and father were in great need, materially, financially. If this man said to his mother and father, I have nothing to give you to help you because all that I have, I have pronounced it Corban. That is a gift to the temple. In other words, it was a con artist way of getting away from the responsibility of a child in honoring and taking care of the parent. And so while they were going through all of this ritual and ceremony, yet they in their hearts were not in accord with the word and the command of God. So we continue reading if that will help us a little bit better to understand. At verse 16 we continue. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats? And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Now then, uh, after reading this list of things that Jesus talks about being defilement or that that defiles the man, I could not help but apply that to our present day society. And I found as I did so that everything Jesus mentions here indeed is characteristic of mankind from, the way, from centuries prior to ours even until this day. However, in this present day, it seems that these things are becoming far more abounding and far more evident in our society. And so we find that we are living in a sick society if this be the condition that we find ourselves in. It's also interesting to discover when Paul spoke to Timothy of the last days and gave to him the characteristics of the time prior to the return of our Lord Jesus, that he said something like this. Timothy said, 
be constantly knowing that in the last days, perilous times, that is, difficult times, will set in. For men shall be fond of self, lovers of self. They shall be fond, are lovers of money. They'll be swaggerers, that is, an empty pretender. They'll be haughty. They'll be revilers, uh, disobedient to parents. They will be unthankful. They will be unholy. They will be without natural affection, implacable, which means irreconcilable. They will be slanderers. They will be lacking in self-control. Paul said that they will be savage. They will be haters of good. They will be betrayers. They will be headstrong. They will be besought with pride. They will be fond, our lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. They will have a form of piety, of religion, but they will deny the power thereof. And then he goes on to say in verse 13 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says this, that evil men and seducers shall wax, what's this, worse and worse, deceiving and they themselves being deceived. What an apt description that is of what you and I know from just reading the newspaper casually or listening to television newscasts or listening to the radio or just commonly observing what's going on in our everyday life as we come into contact with people in our society. I think then there is little doubt and little room for argument that we are in our society growing worse and worse morally and spiritually. And since World War number two, for example, serious crimes in our nation has gone up an average of 214%. Now, if you tabulate that and break it down into different types of crime. They tell us that murder is up by 263%. That's since the end of World War II. Rape is up by 100%. Robbery is up by 263%. Car theft is up 158%. Burglary is up 290%. Larceny, 192%. An aggravated assault is up by over 215%. I don't think I have to labor the point for all of us are too well aware that our society is indeed sick. Just check some of the more modern symptoms, if you will. 4,000 unborn babies murdered every day. 65 to 85 million drinkers of alcohol with 10 plus million alcoholics in our country. Widespread sexual immorality, perversion and the like. Violence that seems to crop up in all of our major cities and even in our countrysides. Looting, uh, burning, uh, war, hatred, jealousy prevailing, deception, dishonesty, uh, uh, lying, the occult on the rise, spiritism on the rise, Satanism on the rise, uh, the occult on the rise, legalized gambling where a society says these things are perfectly all right. 
I do not think then any thinking man or woman could say we are a healthy society morally and spiritually for indeed we are not. Now I want you to look at the text before us that we have read and there are three truths that I want to leave with you and ask you to think with me and examine with me together. First of all, let's look at the society that Jesus described right here in these verses. Then we'll look at the source of these ills of society. And I would not leave you without telling you there is a solution to the ills of our society. That's the wonderful truth about the Bible. The Bible may reveal the problem, but thank God, God in his word reveals the solution. But often man is too hard-headed and stubborn to accept that solution. The, the society we live in, look at it at verse 21. Jesus said, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Now, the word from which this word comes in the original language simply implies evil deeds that have come out of a process of evil thinking. And think of all of the evil in our society that has come out of evil mentality. And think of the things that have contributed to that evil and sinful mentality that's brought about the sinful society. Pornography, for example. And yet there are those who say that pornography has no effect on a person's behavior at all. And yet Ted Bundy, who was electrocuted in the state of Florida, avowed and testified himself to the very fact that he started on the downward road to crime and murder and rape and so forth as a result of his indulging in and his consuming of pornographic literature and pictures and so forth. And then the immoral books that are prevalent in our society. Uh, the I even hate to mention this for fear you'll think it's an advertisement. I think of the Madonna book that's just recently come out. Sex of a perverted, twisted, ungodly, iniquitous sort. And yet uh, uh, people go out and pay $49, $50 for trash like that to pollute their minds. I would to God that people are more concerned about mental, moral, and spiritual pollution than they were the pollution of the atmosphere and the pollution of our streams and so forth. I'm, I, I, I'm all for clearing the air and keeping the water clean, but what I'm saying is we need to be more concerned with that moral pollution and spiritual pollution that is so prevalent in the lives of men. I think not only that, but I think of the contribution television has made. Now, I want to say this. I don't care how strong you are as a Christian. You cannot be bombarded by suggestive scenes on television. Violence, crime, immorality, husband and wife swapping, bedroom scenes, and that not affect the conduct of your life. Sooner or later, it will. What you feed yourself will sooner or later come out. And yet we're, having, we're bombarded by, uh, by uh, the uh, networks, the national networks and now on cable television, uh, constantly bombarded with that kind of filth. I was flipping across a channel that I thought the other night and have considered a, an educational channel. But when I flipped across today's learning, the, the learning channel, first thing I saw was a naked woman. I'm, I'm not talking about half. I'm talking about fully unclothed. 
And yet here we are being bombarded not only from the entertainment world, but from those areas that claim to be educating and training the minds of our people in this country. It's little wonder to me under God that we have as civil a society as we do now. And that's not too civil. Yet again, those things contribute. I think of modern day music and what many a young person and many an adult watches on MTV. Uh, Brother, it didn't take you long, I'd say about two seconds, to figure out the bottom line of MTV and of that sort of thing that many a mind is being deluged by, flooded by, polluted by, and twisted and perverted by. It is a constant emphasis. And what I'm saying is simply this. All of these things that come out in society of terrible sex crimes and the like and immoral conduct comes as a result, listen to me, as a result of a process of evil thinking. Now, the devil knows if he can get your mind, he's going to control what you do in life. What controls your mind controls your life. And I think of what the Lord said of the antediluvian age in Genesis 3, or 6 and verse 5, wherein he declared to us that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the, thought, of, of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. So when you've got a process of evil thinking and all of this sewage that feeds the process of evil thinking, you're going to have evil conduct in a society. Isn't it strange that our government spends billions upon billions of dollars trying to correct the ills of society, but they never seem to admit or recognize the very heart problem that all of these things exist in our society as a result of. Strange to me that intelligent men cannot discern and cannot see that. I think of Proverbs 23 and verse 7. The wise man said, For as he, a man, thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. In other words, it begins here. There is a battle for the mind. Jesse Penn Lewis wrote a book some about that thick as a result of the great Welsh revival and things that happened after that uh, entitled The Battle for the Mind. And that's where the battle rages today, folks. And if we're not careful, we're going to let the enemy infiltrate our minds and result there will be evil conduct on the part of even professed Christians. In Psalm 10 and verse number 4, the psalmist said, The wicked through his pride, of his, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Now listen to this. God is not in all his thoughts. You see, a man cannot live an evil life and think about the God. I'm talking about the God of the Bible. If God is the center of his thinking, uh, it's, it, that's, that is a, uh, that's a break system in a man's life from following through with the evil intent of a heart. Isaiah 59 and verse 7 says, Their feet run to evil, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. So the mind of man is the battleground. And I think we need to pray as did the psalmist in Psalm 139 when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Know my thoughts. Now, if you'll tell me what your mind stays on the majority of the time, I can predict almost to 100% some of the things that are going to take place in your life. 
For the mind and what controls it controls the light. Paul tells us this by way of admonition. He says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down, get this, casting down imaginations, that is, fantasies of mind, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, a man or a woman can fantasize in their mind And they can in their mind live through any kind of evil kind of situation, immoral situation, and yet they feel fairly safe because nobody knows what they're thinking about until perhaps that fantasy becomes a reality. And then the truth comes out. And so then Paul tells us we need to tear down that stronghold of Satan the imaginations, the fantasies of the mind that dwell upon the evil and the lustful and the sinful. Paul said in Philippians 2.5, remember, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Again, the writer tells us, if there be any power, strength, virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Whatsoever is pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things, he said. Get your mind in the right channel. And indeed, the Bible teaches us that we are to be renewed in our minds. Renewed in our minds. Not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. So Paul, first of all, and rightly so, says that one of the things about sickened societies is that, first of all, the mind is sick morally and spiritually. Not insane, but morally sick and moral and spiritually sick in their minds. He mentions evil thoughts. Secondly, He mentions, notice, adulteries and fornication. Now those two words cover the whole gamut of sexual sins against God and against man. Such things as premarital sex, the engaging in sex by an unmarried couple, marital unfaithfulness, simply a husband or wife unfaithful to their companion and out with someone else in an immoral way, or perverted sex, it covers that, the sins of homosexuality and so forth. It also covers the sin of a sexual sin of bestiality, the copulation of man with beasts. Uh, there is the sin of homophilia or, or, or pedophilia, uh, the uh, absorption and the, uh, the, uh, uh, the enslavement of a person's mind and heart with a little child. Uh, that, that sin is covered, even the fact of rape and molestation. And yes, even a unscriptural divorce. And the Bible does talk about scriptural and unscriptural divorce. Not only that, but Paul mentions, this next mention, murder. What a picture of our society. People are afraid today to walk up and down the streets of Atlanta. They're afraid. And I heard just the other day, some fellow went through there and God just pulls up by him, bang, just shoots him. Doesn't know who he was, where he's from, anything. And yet again, murder, not only in the large cities, but right here in our small counties of Northeast Georgia. 
murder. What a, what a symptom of a sickened society. The murder rate, listen to this, the murder rate in the United States is roughly 10,000 every year. 10,000 every year. That is more than one murder per hour every day in the year. A recent study revealed this, that a baby born in one of America's 50 largest cities has almost a 2% chance of being murdered in its lifetime. Now, we live in a sick society. Again, then he mentions not only murder, but he mentions thefts. Now, in the Greek New Testament, there are two words that are translated thief or robber. Two words. One word is kleptes, the other is lestes. A lestes is what we might call a brigand, or, and a brigand may be an outlaw, but yet he is a courageous man. For example, Barabbas is called a, 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 a lestes. Barabbas was a, a courageous man who undoubtedly was fighting for the overthrow of the Roman government when he was arrested. Yes, a thief, but a thief kind of like Robin Hood. A fellow like Jesse James. Though they were robbing the rich to pay the poor, they were outlaws, and yet that's the kind of word that applies to, applied to Barabbas. Now, Kleptes is a thief, but he's the kind of thief that Judas was. And in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 6, you'll find that Judas is called a thief. For the scripture said he had the bag. That is, as the treasure, he stuck his hand in the pot and took whatever he chose. Now that kind of a fella is a mean, deceitful, dishonorable pilferer without even the redeeming quality of courage and bravery like a robber and thief uh, such as Barabbas. So here, the Bible's talking about those who are dishonest and steal and so forth. And today, listen, it, it's, uh, it's almost unthinkable to leave your home, especially if you're in a crowded area, leave it unlocked. You don't know when you go back, everything will be gone. Larry, that sung years a while ago, went home not too long ago, and man, folks broke into his house. Out of here in the country, stole all kind of things, took them off. We live in a sick society, folks. Not only theft, but covetousness. The word covetous comes from a word that simply means, remember this, to have more. The desire to have more just for the sake of having. The Greeks defined it in these two ways. They defined it as the spirit which snatches at that which it is not right to take. They define it secondly as the appetite for that which belongs to another. Covetousness. And the Bible even relates covetousness to a man coveting his neighbor's wife. So covetousness is that desire for having, which is in the heart of the man who sees happiness in things rather than happiness in God. He's got to have things. His heart is full of covetousness. He's always reaching out for something more. So our society. Not only that, but Paul mentions wickedness, simply meaning depravity, iniquity. It carries with it the idea of that which is dangerous and destructive. I think of the Los Angeles riots. I think of not only the Los Angeles riots, but the riots that have occurred everywhere. 
The whole story is uh, wickedness, destructive, designed to destroy. Not only that, but he mentions deceit. The word simply means, uh, comes the word dolos, which means guile, or it comes from that word which means, at its root, bait. I'm talking about like bait for a fish, bait for a mousetrap to catch the mouse in. It is a bait. Uh, it is used of the trickery of deceit. You remember the story in history when the Greeks besieged Troy and uh, they couldn't get into the city of Troy. So what they did, they constructed a wooden horse. It was hollow on the inside. The Greek soldiers got inside of that hollow giant wooden horse and they rolled it up to the gates of Troy and said, here is a token of, of, our, of our, a token of our goodwill and we present this as a gift to you. They rolled it into the gates. They locked the gates behind them to keep the Greeks out. But when night came, the Greek soldiers on the inside came out of that wooden horse and devastated the city of Troy. Even so, that's the idea behind this word deceit. Crafty, cunning, deceitful, clever treachery. And you find it in so many, many areas of life. You even find it in the ministry. There are those who are treacherous and deceitful. And they claim we are here as a goodwill ambassador. We want to do you good. And all you have to do in order for us to do you good is send in a $1,000 offering and you're going to get rich. Well, he's the only buzzard who'll get rich. I'll tell you that right now. But nonetheless, we got folks who'll do that. That's deceit, even in the in so-called Christian circles. And I wouldn't have to mention other things that have been so prevalent in the last decade, television, radio, churches, and the like. Uh, deceit. And then not only that, but lasciviousness. The word comes from the word aselgia. And the word means simply a disposition of soul that resents all discipline. Don't want to have anybody to tell me what I must do. It is a spirit that acknowledges no restraints and would dare whatever its wanton insolence suggests. Word. Again, it means such a person as this is lost to decency and is lost to shame. He has no sense of shame. Think of many in our society in the very same, their sins are open. They don't hang a curtain up. They don't try to cover it up. Their vile life, their vile language, their wicked immoral lives. And so his sins, he sins literally in his life, this kind of fellow, without any qualms, without any sense of shame, and he never hesitates to shock his fellow man wherever he may be. It doesn't make any difference to it. And so that's the meaning of this word lascivious. Not only that, but notice in your Bible, he mentioned an evil eye. I've got to quickly move. That simply is a term that denotes a malicious, mischief eye that's looking to injure another, an evil eye. Not only that, but blasphemy. Now, usually that word is applied to God, but in this sense, it is applied not only to God, but as well as to man. It is that reviler, the person reviles another, or a malicious misrepresentation, misrepresenting another. How prevalent again in our world. Pride. 
And the word, by the way, simply means uh, to show oneself above. That's the word. We set ourselves above others. We uh, lift up the heart against not only man, but against God. What a society we live in. And finally, he mentions foolishness. Now, he's not talking about things that are funny. The word foolishness comes from the word aphrosune, which means a lack of sense. It means, indeed, folly, which means acting apart from God in one's thought, in his conduct, in his philosophy of life. That is a foolish person. The fool has said in his heart, no God. He denies God. The fool has said in his heart, no God. He resents God, resists God, rebels against God. The Bible calls that kind of person a fool. Now then, let me just briefly come to the second thought. And that is, I don't have, I don't have to linger long on this, but you're going to see it. Where does all of this come from? What did Jesus say? Look, if you will, at the verse. For from within, from the heart of man, Come these things. The Bible said in the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. We always quote this verse relative to somebody else, don't we? But the verse says, the heart is deceitful. Whose heart? Mine? Yours? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Whose heart? Mine? Yours? Who can know it? The whole story is our heart is described as wicked. It is described as, as deceitful. It is described as, hey, as hard. The Bible talks about a hard heart. The Bible talks about an evil heart. The heart of man, the center of man, the real problem in our society is man himself. Now, I'm all for voting in any kind of at any opportunity I have to vote against things that are immoral and so forth. But I want to tell you something. I'm afraid, folks, we've missed the point. In other words, if we want people to pull the lever the right way, you've got to have the right people to pull the lever the right way. And that starts from the inside. Too long the church and the family and the school we have depended on legislators to make our country morally upright and spiritually upright when it doesn't come that way. It must begin in the heart. And listen, folks, you and I, as born-again believers, have the key to it all, and that is the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will transform and change the lives of men from the inside out. Now, with that in view, let me ask you a question. How much have you done to change the evil society around you? If you were to die tonight, is there any person that you could say, I have had a part in leading to faith in Jesus Christ, and if I should die tonight, that person could fill my place? The tragedy is exactly what I've said, folks. We have depended on everybody. We want the school to teach our kids morality. We want the government to legislate morality. But my friend, it starts in the heart. 
And if you and I were on our toes and were concerned and burdened and ready to witness to men and women, there could begin a revolution in this country that would transform this society that we live in. There's where it all begins. It begins in the heart, in the heart of man. J.C. Riles, who was a bishop of the Church of England way back many years ago, has a very excellent set of commentaries in the Gospels. I want to read you a statement by J.C. Ryle relative to what I've said about the source of social ills being our heart. I want you to listen carefully. The wickedness of men is often attributed to bad examples, bad company, peculiar temptations, or the snares of the devil. Are you listening closely? It seems forgotten that every man carries within him a fountain of wickedness. I want to read that again. It seems forgotten that every man carries within him, I'm talking about me and you, that every man carries within him a fountain of wickedness. We need no bad company to teach us and no devil to tempt us in order to run into sin. We have within us the beginning of every sin under heaven, unquote. What a powerful, revealing statement. We carry around within us the very seed of wickedness. And if God does not transform us from within, that seed sooner or later will sprout in one way, one fashion, to one degree or another. Finally, let me just mention what I believe the Bible reveals as the solution. What's the solution? I've mentioned it briefly already. First of all, there needs to be a recreation. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about what David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. James said, can clean and pure water come out of a fountain, a spring that's unclean? The answer is obviously no. What man needs is a recreation. He needs to become a new creature in Christ. He needs to experience the transformation of the transplanted heart. I think of what Ezekiel said in his own prophecy, and I think it's chapter 9 or chapter 11, and the Lord said to Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart. I'll take out the stony heart. I'll put within your heart of flesh. The solution is the recreating of a new heart, a heart that is in tune with God, a heart that is alive unto God, a heart that is surrendered to the holiness of God, a recreating. Not only do we need a recreating, but there needs to be a restraint. A restraint. And how is that? The Holy Spirit comes to indwell the body of that man or woman who has been recreated, who's been made a new creature. And the Holy Spirit is a restraining force. He is even so a restraining force through the church today of the overwhelming tides of wickedness in our world. And when the church is removed, brother, listen, through the Antichrist and, and the rule of the Antichrist of the world, wickedness will abound as you can never imagine. But today, the Holy Spirit within, not only restrain her outwardly, but to us who have within us an old nature, 
whose expressions are, Paul said, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, strife, seditions, heresies, party spirits, and the like. The Holy Spirit is that restrain that. And that awful listing of the expressions and works of the flesh are definite portraits of our society. In other words, our society has become what our sinful nature has produced. The politician says the solution's money. The Bible says the solution's the master. The politician says we need to abolish poverty and listen, we will solve the problem. We need to do away with all of these street gangs. Listen, start at the heart of it. There's where you clean up the spring. You get the Sam Jones, the old Methodist evangelist, riding his horse, came down a little trail and stopped his horse at a little stream of water. And as he got off, I started to get off. He looked at a man just up the stream a little and that fellow was down there dipping up the water in his hat and letting it just kind of, drained through his hat. Sam noticed the water was muddy. And he called this fellow and said, hey, mister, what are you doing? And the old fellow said, I'm trying to get a clear drink of water. Sam Jones said, trying to get a drink of water? He said, it'll never happen like that, sir. The man said, why is that? Sam said, just before I got off my horse, I could see up there at the head of the spring, there's an old sow, an old hog, a wallering in the spring. And if you'll get the sow out of the spring, the water will clear up. The whole thing is we're trying to strain society with our little hats when the Lord's saying, get to the heart of the matter. The solution is in the recreating of a new life, the restraint that comes by the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer, and the, thirdly, a resolve by the believer to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. There's the solution. Paul said, if you'll walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill, you'll not bring into completion the lust of the flesh. And everything that I read here from Jesus' own words in Mark 7 are the identical expressions that Paul talks about, expression of the flesh, in Galatians chapter 5. So folks, what we need is that recreating of a new heart, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit within us, and that very resolve to walk in the Spirit. We are not, Paul said then, to be conformed to the world, to the society around us. But rather, we are to be transformed. How? By the renewing of your minds. By the renewing of your mind. Folks, let me urge you as your preacher tonight. Be careful what you let come into your mind. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. The battleground of the mind is under constant assault. And if the devil can capture your mind, he'll capture your life. May God deliver us and may God help us to see that we can be a part of the solution. Stories told about a very busy businessman. He's working in his study, very busy. And all of a sudden his little boy came in said to his daddy, Daddy, uh, let's play, and let's, let's play this. And the dad said, Son, don't bother me now. I'm real busy. The little fellow just kept on calling to his daddy as he'd come into the study. Finally, the dad thought. He said, uh, I've got to get him occupied doing something else. And he looked over on the shelf, and there was a puzzle. Just had about just hundreds of pieces. 
And it was a puzzle that had a picture of the world on it. And so he handed that to the little boy and he said, Now, son, I tell you what, we'll play together as soon as you get this puzzle put together. And the dad, the little boy walked off and the dad thought to himself, Well, that'll keep him occupied for a good while, several hours. But he said it wasn't about 10 or 15 minutes the little fella came back in. And he said, Dad, come here. And the father said, What is it, son? He said, I finished putting the puzzle together. He said, You what? You put that puzzle together in five or ten minutes, son? Why, he said, uh, it takes a normal fella hours to do that. How'd you do it? I said, it's easy, Dad. He said, there's a picture of a man on the back side. And he said, I just put the man together and it solved the problem of the world. You see, that's the whole story. We are trying to reach out here and convert a world when the Lord Jesus would have us to reach out to one individual, one at a time, reaching them for Jesus Christ. Pass out the track. Witness to them on the job. Share with them the message of the gospel. If you want to change a society, you're going to have to get the hog out of the spring. If you're going to get the water clear, you won't do it, but putting your head in there and letting the water drain through. You'll have to clean the spring out. Get to the heart of the matter. May God help us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are concerned as people ought to be who love you and people who love decency about a society in which we live. And yet, Lord, I feel that somehow we as your people and we as your church have been sidetracked. We're trying, Lord, to clean up the stream when we've forgotten that it's at the heart and the head of the matter where the problem lies. Lord Jesus, men who live in the life of wickedness such as you mentioned here in Mark 7, they're only doing what comes naturally. The immorality, the wickedness, the pride, the blasphemy, the lack of self-discipline, the hatred of that which is good. Lord, all that's just natural. But Lord, we pray that you will help us to give the gospel to our friends, that they may experience a transformation, a recreation of a new heart and life. And Father, I pray for anyone here tonight that doesn't know Jesus, Maybe they tried to straighten up their life. They tried to drain out all the dirty water of their life. And yet, Lord, they've never had a change of heart. Some may have been in the church for years. Some may have gone through the ritual and the ceremony in the church, but never, ever have you become master and Lord of that life. We pray, Heavenly Father, that your will be done. And if men and women have understood their need for Christ, may they come now. We believe, Lord, we're living in the last days. When any day the trump could sound and the voice could cry, come up hither to your people. May, Lord, we be ready. May no one who's heard the message tonight go away without trusting Jesus. If there's some child of God that, Lord, somehow has fallen into the trap of the world, we pray that you'll help them tonight to surrender afresh their lives. Ask your forgiveness of their failure and trust you to give them that inner restraint of the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, if there be those who need to unite with our church by statement or by a promise of letter from another church of like faith or some who have been saved but have never come for baptism, grant that your will be done now and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we turn to page number 262 as we sing together, Search me, O God, and I trust that we'll mean it with our heart. And if God spoke to you tonight, if you need to trust Christ, Man alive, it's time to do that. Do it now.
If you're God's child, you've just drifted along and the world somehow just cast a shadow over you. Why not come tonight and say, Lord, I commit my life afresh to you for you to, be, for, for you to use, for you to be honored and glorified through. Do that while we sing on the first stanza together. Sing it out. You come while we sing it. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. question before we go. How many of you tonight say by the grace of God? And you'll say, preacher, I believe exactly what you said tonight, that unless we begin to share the gospel on a personal basis with men and women, that we can't expect our society, our communities to be any better. Now, I haven't really been sharing Christ with people as I should, but I want to ask God tonight, Lord, if you'll help me, by your grace, I'm going to try to witness to one person. I'm going to try to tell them about Christ. I want to share with them my testimony of how the Lord saved me. Would you pray with me, preacher, that God will give me the courage and the grace and the opportunity to do that? And if he'll do so, I'm willing. I'm willing. How many of you would be a part of the solution? Just lift your hand up high right now, will you? God bless you. Amen. Amen. Now listen. Unless we're willing to do that, we have no room to complain. We have no room to gripe. We have no room to grumble about what goes on in our countryside. And if every man and woman right here tonight, every one of us who is saved, will do that. Listen, God can do, things can change where you live. Things can change where you work, down at the plant, the office. You get folks to come to Christ, you'll find a change in their lives. May God help us to do it. Now, Father, we need, we need to be, Lord, stirred up and challenged in this business of telling men of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to realize that many of our young people, as well as adults, are being swallowed up by this sick society. And here we are, Lord, as physicians who have the cure, and we've kept the cure to ourselves. Help us get the gospel outside the four walls of this church building and to bring others to the knowledge of Christ. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.